Hey guys, it's Bill Courtney with an Army of Normal Folks, and we continue now with part three of our conversation with Arshay Cooper, right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, The hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, They're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Let's now return to Arshay on one of his crew members. There was this kid named Alvin. He was in the biggest gang. Which was? What was the biggest gang? Um, 
the it was travel advice lord they called the set soa straight off albany tell our listeners what the nickname is for the neighborhood because of all the lords yeah so um there's a gang called vice lord and vice lord broke broke into many lords the neighborhood is called Holy City because all the gangs were vice lords. You had conservative vice lord, travel vice lord, insane vice lord. Conservative vice lords, what, are they like Trump <laughs> vice lords? They vote for Trump? Is no, they were more like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I guess they would say they're more organized than the other gangs. We're not just going to beat you down. But the we'll beat you down is, for a reason. Because they... <laughs> <laughs> we, we have this document you need to sign before you're beat down because as you know you broke rule section 14b now sign this and get your ass whooping so they were all divisions of lords and everybody was something lord something lord something, something, lord. something lord and people actually referred to each other as vice lord but then they call each other Lord. Lord, like what's up, Lord? No, chill, Lord? Lord. What's going on, Lord? No, nah, man, you know, what's, uh, that, yeah. it was Lord. And then it became, ironically enough, the most unholy of holy situations. <laughs> became nicknamed Holy City. Holy City, Holy City, and I think this is a important piece in the story to help people understand this gang life. I told Coach and Campbell, you know, can probably talk about this. I said. Alvin shouldn't be in the gang because he's fighting. I mean, he shouldn't be on the team because he's fighting people, beating up people. He was like, no, he's, he's strong. He's, he's good. He's strong. And I was like, it's toxic, you know? But he's been coming to practice. and He's been training with us. And the first trip did to- Did you like him? At, 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 did, or were you, real talk, were you afraid of him a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely afraid of him. You yeah. know, and, you know, let me see this dude beat people down with his crew. And I remember- we go to Philly and I sit next to him on a bus. Cause I seen, I was like, this guy, why is this guy even showing up every day? And I said, Alvin, you know, why, why you, why you, why you, why are you, what's up with all the fighting, like beating up people, you know? And, and we rode, I rode, he actually rode right behind me. So we started to build a little connection. What is that? He sat in the seat behind he me. He sat in the seat behind me. I got you. And so we rode in pairs. So he was, we started to build a little connection. And we started talking a little bit, but just like basic stuff, you know what I mean? And and I sat next to him on the bus and I said, hey, man, like, why are you fighting? And he said, man, listen, I have never had a fight because of me. I've never started a fight. When I first moved here, me and my brother would jump by 10 people. And I just told my brother to run, get dad, run. I'll take, I'll take it. I'll take it. And he said, when they, when they finished jumping him, a guy from across the street walked up to him and said, listen, this is always going to happen. When you go out of town, when you leave, it's going to happen to your little brother. Unless you help us, you will never have the help. And Alma said, I, I had to make not a bad choice, but a challenging choice for myself and my brothers. And so every fight he had, he had to help someone else who were getting into fights so just so he can so he can always have the protection his little brother can have the protection when he's gone all right here we go breaking down stereotype number 17 in this <laughs> episode there is a belief that these kids get into gangs because quote they just need a sense of belonging there may be some truth to that in some respects, but that has not been my experience. My experience is they join the gangs because they're scared to death of getting their ass whooped. It's 
very not name. that they want to be part of that. They would much rather be part of a team or school or nurturing situation or grass or green or something. But it's all that's available to them. And if they don't, they often become the victim of the very gang that they subscribe allegiance to. It is dangerous being in a gang, but it's even more dangerous not being in a gang. So it's just a reality. It's a, it's reality. a survival mechanism. I say in the, in the film, the big question is not what college you're going to go to, but what gang you're going to join for protection. That's the big question. People listening to this need to just let that marinate a little. When your dream is to eat a Chipotle or go five miles from your neighborhood just to see a Sears Tower and that your reality is not where you're going to college, what kind of job you're going to have, but what kind of, what, which gang you're going to join. And then you don't understand after hearing that and you, and you can't get your arms around that there are people in our country that simply don't have the same privilege of freedom to grow as other people in our country doesn't speak badly about anybody else. It just speaks to um, the reality of situation of guys like you and where you grew up. Yeah. Secretary, it's desperate. Yeah. Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, um, white man, he said it. It spoke to me. He said, if more people look like me, if more people live downtown, it wouldn't be tolerated. Wow. And I guess that's true. Do you find that true? I find it true, you know? Um, and, um, but what I did say um, to Alvin was, if you notice, for two months, you haven't been hanging out with those guys. Mm. You've been in practice every day. And that just shows that talent is everywhere, but access and opportunity is not. Alvin Brother said in the film, when they tore down the YMCA, and that happened often because of funding, he said, I ran to the streets. I don't care if you're white, black, Hispanic, Asian. There were 150 kids at that YMCA. That's where the counselors, the coaches, the mentors were at. And now it's torn down, and it's 150 kids hanging in the street. So it doesn't matter what color you are. If there's 150 kids hanging out with nothing to do, some crazy stuff what is going to happen. What do you expect Yes, you know what I mean? And, uh, but rowing came, and Poon ran to the rowing team. And so you talk about that outlet for two hours. Like, what are you running to? Like, why are you showing up to practice every day? Why are you showing up to, to rowing every day? You know, it's, it's a respite. Yes. It's an escape. It's an escape. And then through the hook of the respite and escape, Little by little, you kids didn't realize what you were actually gaining, which was experience you wouldn't have other had, otherwise had in teamwork. And my guess is, I mean, I've rode a John boat across a lake before, and that will wear you out. Mm -hmm. And my guess is if you're with other guys trying to go fast, I mean, it's core strength, it's arm strength, it's cardio it's you know so there's both physical and non-physical attributes to a successful roar w what are those yeah i mean i mean height helps <laughs> being tall but you know I, I think the it's 
it's a lot more than the physical piece, right? Like being long or being flexible or being strong. But I think the most important attributes is like for some people understanding as a follower, you have to learn to be a leader. As a leader, you have to learn how to follow. Because um, you're all in unison. Because you're all in unison. You know, I learned in rowing that I cannot do the work of eight. I have to find eight to do the work of one. And then mm, we get the job much done faster. And it's not about you. It's about the person who's sitting in front of you and the person who sits behind you. And the discipline. Show up every day. Understanding that the chemistry that you have in the boat doesn't just happen in the boat, but it's what you do outside of the boat. When you're asking each other questions like, what keeps you up at night? What keeps you going? Personal questions. When Alvin told me that, I was like, from this day forth, I will always pull for you. You know, when you're willing to get personal, when you see someone that's working hard and, and crying out there and ripping apart their hands and breaking their backs for each other, man, that that is something that Alvin always wanted and, and, and was looking for. Um, later in the film, and not to tell the whole story, I start showing up at his house every morning before school, walking with him every day to school. He was the best man in my wedding. <laughs> you know, that's what sports does. And, and and that's that's kind of just like, honestly, what 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 we needed, you know. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and 
even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. So when you join, when, when, when the white boat and the white lady and the, <laughs> everybody showed up, you were, were you a freshman or a sophomore? I was a sophomore. You're a sophomore. Yeah. So this led to three years. Three years. Of, of rowing. Mm-hmm. How good did y'all get? We got good. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I'll say this. We got really good. We got really fast. They came to a point where we lost Preston, uh, who was amazing but he said man the, I'm, like I was doing good I was learning a lot but his mom was still a drug dealer and he said you know the streets were calling I saw what she was making you know and he was a great asset to the team and we lost him it was Malcolm who was the strongest guy on our team and his dad was like no you can't be on the team man. I don't want you doing like I, I, you know his dad brother was hung on a tree in the south and he just never Malcolm had to sneak to practice dad just never agreed with him you know he just didn't want him on the team why wouldn't he he was just like I don't trust the space right I don't trust the space and so we had to recruit other kids right so we were always at the same time in the constant state me and Alvin in the constant state of rebuilding and then we got more competitive and we got a new coach and we got faster but I think at the same time, performance-wise, not only preparing to be good, it was real hard at the same time that we still had to go back home and we were losing friends. And we still had to worry about stuff at school. We had to still worry about the mental piece. And, oh, my God, my cousin got shot. Hey, oh, Alvin, oh, man, man, my, my cousin just got killed. I can't go to practice this week. God's like, you know what? I got to help my mom work. I got to miss practice this week. You know, I got to babysit. My mom got to work a double. We had a lot of that to deal with. We were athletic. We were strong, but we had a lot to deal with. Once again, not the same reality as your competition. So, um, what do you do after you graduate high school? Man, I graduated high school. I dedicated a year of my life to full-time service with AmeriCorps. I, I wanted to do more. I wanted to dedicate a year of my life to my community. And I learned that from just like, there was one rule that Coach Victor, he was the black guy he had. He said, um, leave the boathouse better than you found it. And he said that when I was the captain, I became the captain of the team. 
by the way, football coaches say that about the locker rooms all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Leave the locker room better than you found it. Don't yeah. leave your crap laying in Yes, yes. And I used to step Another over. very valuable lesson. Yes, I used to step over it all the time. I would step over it and say, no, you leave the bowl house better than you found it, even if you didn't make the mess. And I would say, well, how does that teach responsibility to the person who was here before us? He was like, in our bowl house, you leave it better than you found it, even if we didn't make the mess, because it makes it easier for the next group. And uh, he's like, yo, you'll get it. And what I learned is like, man, like some people will say, I have nothing to do with what those black kids were doing, you know, when the cops beat them up. Oh, I had nothing to do with what happened in the South 200 years ago. You know, I have nothing to do with kids who have mental health issues. I have my own kids to worry about. We step over it, but we benefit from this country. And so if we can leave it better than we found it, even if we didn't make the mess, it makes it easier for the next generation. All right. That's awesome. Say it again. <laughs> if Say we can leave this country, our community, this world better than we found it, even if we didn't make the mess, it makes it easier for the next generation. Do you love this country? I love this country. How do you feel when you watch people kneel during the national anthem as a black man? As a black man, I, I understand because. But you love this country. But I love this country. But that's disrespectful. It's not disrespectful to me. Here's why, because. Oh, but it is disrespectful because everybody says it is. Talk to me about it. Talk, talk to me about it. It, I want you to explain it to me. I want you, I explain it this way. It's a little bit of what I said earlier. I don't know if I would have thought this way if I didn't have the interaction with the, the kids that became my friends, the white private school kids. The moment that I was walking from the boathouse in that white neighborhood with my friends and the cops came and they looked at my, opened my book bag and they emptied it out. I was like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? I used to, they used to happen to me all the time in my neighborhood and I would say to myself, okay, because it's a bad neighborhood. It's a challenging neighborhood. So of course, like they're going to look through my stuff because people got guns. I did think about that as a kid. And then when I was in this good neighborhood where there was no violence, it still happened to me. And that's when, again, I said to myself, like, man, like, I volunteer. I'm the captain of my team. I passed the Constitution test. I know the Declaration of Independence. I know the preamble. I've never been suspended from school, never got in trouble. And then when I asked my friends, did this happen to them, the white private school kids, they said it had never happened. And I realized, I said, you know, I went to a baseball game and I sung the national anthems with goosebumps in my arms. And when I ask other people who don't look like me that they didn't experience what I experienced with who I consider an American hero, it made me feel like I was living in a different America. And it doesn't mean that people who grew up like me are disrespecting it. We're trying to help people to understand. So who is your American hero? My American hero is <laughs> it's the grandmas, it's the pastors, it's the educators, it's the, the, the normal people who are trying to just leave the boathouse better than they found it. Is George Washington worthy of our price? <laughs> I don't I don't look at it that I don't I don't know if I look at it that way. Um I without him we don't have a country. We don't that that is He also owned slaves. Yep. It was also 200 and whatever 60 yeah. years ago mm-hmm. how do we ba- how do we balance that 
from a from a black dude from the west side of Chicago that admittedly made friends with white kids from the nice part of town. You have a very unique perspective. Yeah. So I think uh, I will tell you so many, especially in the South, but so many white folks, again, it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the white privilege thing. Um, they do want to understand, but they also are very off put by the degradation of people that, that we see as founding fathers because 250 years ago they were slave owners and people have a hard time balancing, you know, how do I check myself and learn and be real and become present and cognizant with the reality of the plight of a lot of black folks from inner cities, but also not, um, not allow what I do believe a positive heritage from the people who found our country left us. How do I balance it? Hmm. It's a hard balance, you know? And, and to be honest, I think oof, I'm still working on that, but I, I, Rowan, and people may disagree with me or agree with me, like Rowan taught me, you know, and Rowan, you row forward by looking in the opposite direction. That is so I right. learned that it's okay to look back as long as you keep pushing forward. It's been a trouble pass, you know, and, and it's okay to acknowledge that these things happen and, and there are generations of trauma because some of it but you have to keep pushing forward so americorps for two years that's cool but uh i i read you uh you learned to cook a little bit somewhere where'd you where'd you go you went to culinary school or something right yeah i went to la cordon bleu and where uh, i started off in chicago yeah and then raised a little bit of money to uh, take some lessons at the Le Cordon Bleu England, which was amazing. And I have is this, that in London? Where is London, that? London, England. That's and, one of my favorite cities. Oh, bro. it's such a good Golly, city. I love <laughs> London. So you 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 went to culinary school in London. Yeah, and, and from so, the what you do, you dreamed to see Sears Tower five blocks away, and now you're in London <laughs> cooking. Well, I have to tell you this, and I think you know it's it's awesome to have like great like those entrepreneurship classes really help. But culinary was introduced to our high school for anyone who wants to learn how to cook. Mm. But I only went because. It, you know, we didn't have a ton of food. So I was like, <laughs> you so I was like to yeah, yeah, you, you get to eat what you cook. So, and I realized I was really good at it. And I was like volunteering on the weekends. And not only volunteered on on, on, on the weekends, like the Hilton O'Hare, like our, our teacher really hooked us up with some really great internships. And so I was rowing and doing some internships and racing too and, and doing a lot. And then when I went to La Corda Blue, I was like, man, I got how do I pay for this? And I was like, Ken, I need a plan, you know? And what I decided to do is I got a job at the Starbucks in Little Italy, which is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in, in, in Chicago. And that's what all the men goes in, you know, lawyers, doctors, everyone. And so I'm there and I'm meeting all these folks. And I'm like, hey, my name is Arshay. Every now and then 
my coffee's on you. And they said, oh, if you ever need a dentist, I got you. If you need a doctor, I got you. If you need a lawyer, I got you. And I was like, yeah, yeah. How's your family doing? And so I went up, I went to this restaurant called Blackbird. It's a French restaurant. I talk about it in my book. And I said, can I work, you know, Chef Paul Kahn just won the James Beard Award. Can I work for free? Can actually hook, got me hooked there. And he was like, yeah. I was like, I'm just cutting mushrooms. I'm cutting carrots. Simple stuff. Best rest, French restaurant in Chicago. I go to my school and I ask them to help me make some business cards. And I found five good guys from my class. I go to Starbucks every day. I make these cards. I start putting it in the sleeves of the Starbucks cups. That's hilarious. And catering You're families, hustler, bro. couples, and everyone else. And they say, everyone was like, you know how to cook? You're a good chef. I was like, yeah. I go to La Cordon Bleu and I work at Blackbird. You work at Blackbird? I didn't tell her I was cutting onions for free. But I said, like, yeah, I work at Blackbird. And I started getting a lot of business. And I was making money and I was paying these guys at school $10 an hour. And I was making some dough. And so that's how I was able to pay for that for that trip. And um, and so from there, I got a job. I say that to say that after La Cordon Bleu, this guy named Bobby, this guy named Jeff linked me up with this guy named Bobby. Bobby was head of hospitality and cooking for World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, with John Cena, The Rock, all these guys. And you're cooking? Uh, he was like, and I go for a job. And I tell him my story about interning for free at a sport where there, there are no cheerleaders, there are no busload of fans, but you're just rowing. The Starbucks story. The Blackbird story. And he said, because of what you've done as a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old kid is the reason why you have the dream job today. And that's what I always tell young kids. What you do today, what you do now matters for your future. Man, that is a long way <laughs> from a boiling water pot full of chitlins when you were laying on the couch. <laughs> that's a long way away. So then then you like her cooking it. Did where else? Oh, uh, Warner Brothers, WB. So I was doing like cooking on food sets. Yeah. We're wrestling entertainment. The whole thing. Yeah. Doing catering. And like. So, I mean, you reaching a dream and then you say, you know what? I love this. This is great. But I'm called. That happened during that Chipotle story. When they asked me, you got to tell these kids your story. You're here. I was like, no. When I went home that night after thinking about that kid. I have not everyone faces Goliath in their youth. I didn't deal with my trauma. I just buried it. When I talked about it, it was, you buried it alive. It's always there when you don't deal with it. My mom being a drug addict, not saying the word dad a day in my life, teacher telling me I was going to die before I was 18, fell in the eighth grade. All that stuff came back when I went home that night in my swanky New York apartment. And I had a moment like when hope and the ability to change the world like that feeling that comes upon you is not always present but when it's there how do you, how do you take that moment and, and and go with it it was almost like when you was the kid at night and you watch a commercial at like three o'clock in the morning and it says feed these starving kids in africa or 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 feed the abused dog. And, I was gonna say the abused dog was yeah, yeah, the one that gets yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it just yeah, kills the, me. And then the numbers on the bottom. Yeah. He's like, oh my god, I gotta do something. I gotta do something. And then your show comes back on. You start laughing. You fall asleep. You wake up. You gotta go to work, and you forget about everything that you just saw the night before. Right. 
And I had those moments every time I went to church or I went to a gala or went to an event where I was like, I got to do something. And then I got distracted by the need and I fell asleep on the knee. I forgot about it. And I didn't want that to happen because that Chipotle story just stuck with me. And that's when I started writing my first sentence. It didn't, it didn't start off that way. First sentence was my mom was a drug addict. And I, I was like, gosh. And that's when I wrote the story of the fan. And that's when I started writing my book. Phenomenal. And I get you're, you know, starting to write the book, but you don't have any fame. Nobody really knows your story. And you start working yourself out of your cooking career and into your current, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, nonprofit, philanthropic <laughs> career, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, what was, how did you, how and why and what precipitated you walking away? I, I call it like, you know, I returned home to the place they gave to me. Um, I didn't move back to Chicago first. I actually started going back, which is important to the story. I decided I, can vo- I would volunteer with that group at the school. It's a charter school and start working with him and, and giving him the same answers that was given to me. And then I, I went to another school called Eastside Community High School. And I was like, man, these kids need rowing, you know? <laughs> and so that's when I was like, I called up Concept 2 and I was like, hey, I want, I need rowing machines. I need to get, get as I called up Ken A, I need some rowing machines. I want to teach kids how to row. And so I started a rowing program. While still slowly cooking, working my way out of yeah. the job, and I'm still writing. And um, so you're starting a rowing team. You're writing. You're still cooking. So you're really transitioning. A transition. And eventually, I stopped cooking because more people was like, "Arshay, come to my school." And he was getting paid like a hundred dollars to speak at a school, one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. But that was a lot for me to just to tell you the story, you know. And and people start hearing. And then someone said, "Hey, I want you to speak at the U.S. Rowing Convention." And that's when it exploded. People were like, oh my God, this dude got a story. Like, you got to come to my boathouse and help me. Help me bring people together. We are a program in a white community, but we need to, we want to engage the black community. How do we do? How do we do? How do we go in there? What do we do? You know? And, and so I started helping in that area. And then I, I'm, I'm writing my book at the same time. And it's good because. I forgot a lot of the water terms. And so being around that helped me write again. That's interesting because probably as you're writing, you're reliving. You're reliving. And as you're teaching, it's helping your writing. Yes. I mean, it's the the whole thing is kind of organically marinating. Yep. Marinating. And I finished the book. I, Shop it to eight editors and publishers. They all said, no, you didn't win gold. You didn't win a championship. You're not a writer. And uh, that sucked. A lot of no's. And so I was like, I'm going to self-publish. I'm going to hustle. I was a hustler. So I self-published. Yeah, it was the same guy that was putting business cards inside the, the yeah. Starbucks <laughs> yeah, sleeves. Yes. I have no doubt <laughs> that you were going to hustle yeah. it up. And so I'm dropping books off everywhere. Mailing books to everyone. Um folks in the Olympics, like sending the books to schools, blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting all these calls. Like, we love your story. We love your story. We love your story. And it got into the hands of Mary Mazio, filmmaker, Olympic rower. 
who said, I want to turn this book into a documentary. Uh, my friend Grant Hill, I want to bring him in as a producer. And Grant Hill got Dwayne Wade. And they got Common involved. And the buzz was picking up. Arshay not only wrote this self-publishing book and doing this film, but he's doing work with kids who grew up just like he did. And the kids are going to and college. And he'll come speak. And he'll come speak. That's when the big publishing house, Macmillan, was like, we read your story. We, we want to do it. We want your book. And we want to get it out to a broader audience. And they did. And I started seeing the people, the books start winning awards. And... I saw the people who I pitched a book for retweeting. <laughs> and um, and so from there, the film got out and people loved it. It was amazing. It changed lives. It brought in more money to help the foundation. Which gave you now the platform gave to me, actually work the foundation. Yep. Nine cities later, and good news, this year, Arshay Cooper will be going to South Africa and the Bahamas to help launch a new Prime program. That is so cool. That is fantastic. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come 
and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. Incredibly, Arche's book, A Most Beautiful Thing, was then turned into a great documentary by Dwayne Wade, Grant Hill, and Common. And he and his high school crew members did something pretty unusual during the filming. You guys have a uh, have a reunion row? Yeah, a reunion row. And, uh, <laughs> and if I, I get this right, I will let you tell it, but I'll just lead it in. I think one of your teammates had an ankle monitor, the other in jail, <laughs> yeah. and the cops were not part of their reality. And then you, in your brilliant, bright mind, decided, yeah, let's row with cops. <laughs> Talk about it. It's so cool. Yeah, you know, while we was filming, there was two things that stuck out to me. First was... The mom said there's two fears they have. My black son interaction in a different neighborhood in our community. My son interaction with white police. And I was like, me being a person who loves to preach hope and, and go after things, I said to myself, what can I do to reduce the fears of my moms? I know I'm helping with these communities, but I got to do something about the other fear. And I know that there's some things in this world, I learned from rowing, there's some things in this world you won't see unless you do it. And I said, I, I, I talked about that, that quote that Rowan taught me that I can't do the work of eight, but I need eight people to do the work of one and we get there much faster. In our community, there are black activists working with educators, preachers, business owners, and grandmothers politicians but why not the cops because they have to work there every single day seven people pulling the eight you'll move but you won't it won't move effectively unless the eight is moving and so and the cops are one of those eight. and the cops is in one of the eight and they're in our community and and so i told the guys i was like listen I think I uh, want to get cops to row. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we can row against them. Their boys can be over here and our people can be over there. I was like, no, 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 no. I said, you know, as a teacher, you will always forget some of your students. But as a student, you'll never forget your teacher. And we have an opportunity to be a teacher, to teach them something about us, about this sport, and bring them to the same water where we didn't get along at first, where we literally hate each other. And somehow it became a place of healing. And to be real with you, I made that decision based on building the bridge. They made the decision based on survival. If we interact with them and they get to learn our teenage, learn about our teenagers who wear their hoodie and sag their pants, but great kids, then maybe it will change something for them. And I found four white cops and man, it wasn't, it was awkward at first. It was very awkward, but in order to, to, 
have alignment, you have to readjust the lens. You have to be able to talk to each other and to move anywhere in the boat. You have to be moving each other to move anywhere in this world. You have to be moving together. And I told my story and I wanted to hear their story, but I have to say this because it's not in the film. It's not in the book. It's not any, it's not anywhere. There's a scene where the guys were rowing with their kids, teaching their kids how to row. Before that scene, uh, after that scene, we was going to do the scene with the cops, but the cops came with some of their kids. And what broke the awkwardness is that when the cops' kids mm. and the guys' kids all got in the tanks and they were pulling and they were having fun and they were talking and it wasn't a care or disconnect in the world. And it was a learning opportunity for all the adults who have in their heads, this is the way it's supposed to be, or this is our brotherhood and there's that brotherhood. There was none of that. No, actually, the kids in the boat is the way it's supposed to be. Yes. That's right. Yeah, the kids in the boat was the way it's supposed to be. And um, everyone was like, dang, like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like, they taught us. They didn't even know. And that's when we all got in the boat and I was coaching. We invited the Olympic coach out and we started moving together and we had conversations that were uncomfortable, but was amazing. And the most powerful part was Alvin, who was my best man at the wedding, who was fighting, who served four hour, four years in jail later on in life because he shot at someone who beat up his sister. Officer Lou. Officer Lou didn't even know how to swim. We didn't even know it. And he's scared. Hold over. it. A white dude didn't know how to swim? He didn't know how to swim. Mm. <laughs> you mean, you mean, <laughs> you mean that happens? That, that, that happens. Well, there's another stereotype <laughs> just destroyed by you. Uh, and I heard Alvin say, sit tall. Like, I got you. Here's this guy who's done four years. Here's this cop in front of him that has a lot of fear. And Alvin's like, dude, I've been here. I got you. And ever since that day, the way both of them gravitated towards each other was something I have never seen. This unlikely lifeboat changed these guys' life. There's a guy in Las Vegas named John Ponder, 20-year criminal from Brooklyn who ended up finally going to the federal penitentiary because he robbed a bunch of banks and through a long series of circumstances and what he would tell you are blessings, he's come out and he started a reentry program and the recidivism rate that his organization experiences is like 10% against a national average of somewhere around 80%. Those numbers are close. But the point is unbelievable successful. And you know what his success he attributes to is that the returning citizens from jail that are paroles are like lots of these organizations, work life skills, learn how to do internet and email and learn how to get a job and go on an interview. The difference with his is each one of those guys are matched with a Las Vegas police department man or woman, uh, FBI, whatever. And what John said that I've never forgotten to me is what happens is 
the cops start seeing the convicts without the orange jumpsuit on, and the convicts start seeing the cops without the badge mm. on. And when the when the jumpsuit and the badge is erased, all you have are two people. And I gotta believe when Alvin and the cops and the and the, the the whole mixed up crew was going on, the cops weren't didn't have a gun or a badge on, right? No. And through rowing, they got to just see each other's human beings. <laughs> That's what Malcolm said in the film. He said, once they got out of those uniforms, you know, it, it was it was cool. They go back home to families and wives and kids they're and they're human beings and they saw us the same. And and I would say the the most powerful moment of all, they have volunteered with me. They have helped me bring rowing back to the high school. I went to California and they showed up to help. I was just at Northwestern University and the others showed up to help. Like they've been there. But the most powerful moment is that we filmed this in 2019, 2020, when George Floyd was murdered. We have this group chat because we all chatted all the time. You mean the row, your, your row guys yeah, and, the, the cops. and the cops. So now Because we race together because we one team. Cats. We have one eight. We race together. Yeah, there goes the neighborhood. There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> and the beauty of that, when we race together in July, to have a tent of like, their colleagues and their kids and all boys from the neighborhood and, and and all together cheering us on. And then you hear the guys from the neighborhood tell the cops, hey, this is my son. Like, he's so good, man. Sometimes he's had bad days, but he's great. Like, you know, the cop, it was just- It's just cool. It, it was cool. And then he was making jokes like, hey, the cops give one of the guys, hey, where does wire? I know you always wear wire. Like, they started these jokes. <laughs> it was like all these jokes, right? And like- But could- that's when race- <laughs> doesn't matter when you can joke about it with yeah, each other it yeah. really doesn't yeah, matter I know. it was it was awesome it was a powerful moment when george floyd was murdered and i started messaging with the guys and right after george floyd was murdered we did a, a top a, a segment on the today show and with those guys and 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 one of the cops said he said when george floyd was murdered I was working downtown in the protest and had a ton of bricks thrown at me. And he said, I realized that day through our relationship that I can go home and take my uniform off, but you can never take your black skin off. And I said, thank you for saying that. How do you have that conversation with your colleagues? And that opened a door for some really courageous conversations with us and there was always a turning point in a good way because we always had a mission one mission in mind is to keep kids safe both of us both groups and there was times of like well you need to see this is the way i see it or you don't understand when a grandma calls and say he has a blue sweater you see your kids a blue sweater and grandma got robbed and grandma got hurt we have to make a decision to take all three in you know what i mean like Helping us understand, but also telling them, hey, man, Alvin joined the game because he had to help others. And they were like, oh, my God, he didn't make bad choices. He made tough choices. Like the conversations were conversations that I can't have at a protest. But once I invited them to my boat, my barbecue, because they work in our neighborhood eight hours a day and they need to learn our names. And I want them to hear my story. And I want to hear their story. That's when we started to connect so the way you mean when you're just human beings when you're just human beings and so the mistake we make in our country is that 
we do too much calling out and no calling in. Hmm. And you, yeah, you, you, you. But it reminds me of Alvin. If I would have saw him the first time, it's like, hey, you don't need to be on this team. He would have socked me in the jaw. But I called him in. I sat next to him on the boat. I sat next to him on, on the machine. And I said in my book, what I loved about Ken, our coach, this Jewish guy from University of Pennsylvania, what he'd done differently is that my relationship in school with security guards or teachers, that I only heard from them when I was doing wrong, mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. at me. And then when I had a bad day, they would say, tell me what's the problem. What's going on at home? I'm not telling you. Right. But Ken made deposits. When you go to the bank and make a deposit, you can't get it. You know, you get a withdrawal, but you can't get a withdrawal if you don't make deposits. And so when you have coaches and people making deposits in your life and when you ask, what's the problem? You will always get a withdrawal. And so I learned to call in. I learned to make deposits in cops' life. So when I say, hey, man, tell me about George Floyd, I always get a withdrawal because I'm making deposits. We'll be right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey everybody, it's Coach Bill Courtney. If you're enjoying an episode of An Army of Normal Folks, there's another podcast you might like, especially if the global conflicts that seem to surround us and even the upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, 
The hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the right answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Reed Zakaria, and economist Alan Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcast. If we're ever going to ail so much of what divides us as a country, which is not just racial, mm-hmm. it's racial, it's political, yep. it's faith-based, it's abortion, it's all of it, right? But what, what scares me so much is that wokeness, cancel culture, and political correctness makes us really afraid to be willing to talk because I might say something that is a talking point for one group or another. And then you automatically sum me up and assume, you know, exactly who I am, what I think, where I'm from. And I, what's, you know, and until we break down those barriers and talk like white cops and black row people, um, what, what are row people called? Oxman or something? <laughs> uh, Oarsman. Oarsman. Yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> row people (laughs) (laughs) right but what i'm saying is is that is that i'm so i am so um anti cancel culture woke this political that not because i don't think there's a need for us to watch our tongues and how we approach one another because we do but because i think we the pendulum has swung so far in our culture now that it is prohibiting people that aren't just like each other from simple having simply having real civil conversations about the stuff that matters and without that we're never going to be able to learn the humanity about one another and grow mm-hmm. and your story illustrates that when those barriers are removed the phenomenal growth that can take place um so what are you doing now? Man, I am I have a national foundation. Uh, What's it called? A Most Beautiful Thing Inclusion Fund. Uh, in the last year and a half, we introduced 2,000 kids of color to the sport of rowing. Um, in what cities? In Baltimore, uh, D.C., Chicago, Newburgh, New York, Waco, Texas, uh, Stockton, California, Philadelphia, Newark, New Jersey. Y'all going to screw up rowing? <laughs> y'all gonna end up y'all gonna end up making rowan look a whole lot different yeah you know i was that like, is so cool it's good you know someone told me I'm, in the interview they say so arshay you're it's amazing you're changing the face of rowan and i was right. like and you know what I, I i i what i told them is like you know what though i don't want to change the face of rowan i want to add new faces to rowing and it's beautiful. It's man. a beautiful thing because the history of sports have told us that. You're the Serena Williams of rowing, man. Man. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, 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 
I want to do so much more. When I roll in my neighborhood, Bill, just like when people watch your documentary. Your current neighborhood? Yeah. You know, or where I grew up. I don't want people to say that's the author or that's the chef or that's the rower. You also don't want to be the black rower. (laughs) Yeah. No, you don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. But I want people to say, you know what, that dude, that's the hope for my community. That's the hope for our kids. When I think of some of the greatest leaders like MLK, I don't think about his career as an educated preacher, but I think about the hope that he brought to this country. And I think about Harriet Tubman, I don't think about her career as a union spy, but the freedom that she brought to so many people who look like me, or even Gandhi. I don't say, oh, the attorney, but the peace that he brought to so many villages. Can I ask you a question? I, I hear what you're, what you're saying, and I think it's cool. And you, in, you evoked Harriet Tubman and MLK and Gandhi all people that are black and brown. Mm-hmm. Can you evoke a, would you in just natural conversation evoke a white hero? Yeah. I was going to say mother Teresa next. Who? <laughs> I was going to say mother Teresa next. <laughs> all right. Yeah, but, of course. But what about a, what about uh, a white male? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, I think that you, you hit the term white savior, right? I think that um, we all have the ability to be heroes. And I think that um, Ken was a hero in our Ken Alpart. That's the guy on the team. Bob Mouskowski, who started the baseball team program. They they were heroes. I think that sometimes where it gets – people should never take away the work that the the work and, and the love that a white man had brought to a neighborhood of folks who don't look like him. I think what people will, the right people would say, well, I've been doing this in this neighborhood and I don't get the media attention that that person got because right. it's different. And, and there's ways to address that, but we should also take away the work that, can and other men like you have done and at at moments i lost sight of that but it changed when i spoke to seattle scholars and this white dude said i have this was recent i have 60 white men on my team and i'm working to change that but 40 percent of these guys said they're here because of rj cooper Okay, that is perfect. And what I'm getting to is you naturally evoke heroes. And you said M.L. King and... uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Gandhi and... Yeah, yeah. all right. And I think if I'm sitting asking a white guy, he's going to say, pick some white people. Because it's just natural, right? I mean, if a white dude, yeah, I mean, maybe it's... I don't know if it's baseball, it's Babe Ruth, right? Yeah, you're, yeah. Who would be your hero in baseball? Yeah, Jackie Robinson. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. If it's football, maybe Joe Montana, who's yours? Oh, wow. Uh, well, you know, that's, you know, for me, it's a Chicago guy. So I, I was going to say, gonna say I was thinking it's Walter Payton. Walter Payton, yeah. I was going to, yeah, yeah. It's so many others, but Walter Payton, yeah. Absolutely. Why not, why not McMahon? <laughs> why not Buckus? Yeah. Yeah. He loved the film, by the way. Okay, but you see my point. I see your point. You know where we got to get? Where white people and black people 
don't even consider race when they think about their heroes. But we don't get there until we can have the conversations. Mm -hmm. And we don't get there until people are not surprised when they see black kids rolling. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And you're part of that solution. Part of that solution. Your life is part of that solution. I mean, Baltimore, D.C., all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just so cool. But we can't get there unless we can talk and figure out each other's humanity, right? You're right. I have to say this last thing. I mean, I don't know how much time we have. I got a call from a librarian and said, we bought 300 books. We donated to a school. And a school has just seen your movie. Arshay Cooper, you need to come here. Beautiful. I said, okay, okay. This was, I don't know, six months ago. I said, okay, okay. And they said, no, we need you to come. I said, okay, where where do I need to come? They said, Alliance, Ohio. Where? Alliance, Ohio. I was like, what? That's got to be in the middle of nowhere. I was like, where is that? And they said, you got to fly to Pittsburgh and drive an hour and a half. It's Alliance, Ohio. Okay. I fly to Pittsburgh, pick up my buddy Matt from Pittsburgh. We drive to Alliance, Ohio. Five minutes left in the GPS, and there's Confederate flags everywhere. I'm like, where am I? Like, don't do a U-turn. Um, you know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I go to the school. And I'm thinking in my Are head. Are you driving to that school thinking, do these folks know look like me? No. You know what? When he said, I need you, they need you, I was thinking in my head that they, they were kids who looked like me. Because he was like, oh, they got to, you know, they got to oh, meet this you. This is, I, I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. This and so, great. And, and I walk into the school. Don't see a kid that looks like me. But they were cheering me on like I was LeBron James. Let me ask you something. Was it as white as your high school was black? Yes. That white. Yes. Like white. White, white. I mean, like, white kids who never even heard of rowing white. And, and, and they were like. White kids have never heard of. Uh, yeah. We're talking about country, country kind of white folks, man. And the first kid, I have these kids' messages on my phone from Instagram because they're the best messages I ever received. I've received so many amazing messages. The first kid stood up and said, "Bill, thank you for your story because I have unlearned everything that my parents taught me about people who look like you." I couldn't even finish the rest. Did you start bawling? uh, Man, I was like, the teachers will tell you, I stood back. Like, I couldn't even answer other questions because I couldn't get past that. That's when, like, I knew I was making an impact when I see kids who look like me and said, hey, you spoke at my school three years ago. Now I'm rowing at Cal Berkeley or now I'm, I'm rowing at this college. Like, I knew, but I didn't really understand it. Until like this kid who walked into the boathouse was like, I'm, I mean, the lunch was like, I'm not doing that. There's no one look like me. Like I, I just didn't understand until that day that man, like, wow, when you act beyond yourself, your career, man, like true change happens. You know what I mean? And and man, it's I realized at the same time that the hope I was given because we all have kept. I've received hope at some point in our lives. The problem is that we keep it. It was never mine to keep, but to also give. And I realized it was all about the hope you give. From 
stepping over pools of blood, running from gunshots that was so monotonous that it was no more noticeable than the clicking of a fan in his apartment, all the way to rural Ohio where a white kid thanks you for changing his perspective of people that look like you and come from places like you learned all from the bottom of a boat. What a story, bro. And you're still involved. Yeah. Not quitting. Let me ask something. Somebody wants to start a row team in their city. Can they call on you? Yeah, they can call on me. We're How ready. They find you. They can find me. RShayCooper.com. My email is there. Our work, our articles on what we've done and, We'll come with our team. We'll check it out, and then we'll introduce them to wellness. What if somebody wants you to come speak to their organization and tell them about that same thing? Same thing. Hit me up. My email is there. I always respond, and uh, I love to come speak. My brother, I um, I can't thank you enough for for joining me today and sharing your story and your wisdom, and um, you know, there's some questions I asked with specific intent and. Some things I said that I really just trying to get the get the listeners to 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 think a little deeper and maybe a little different about some of the realities of our world. But you're a hero, man, and you are uh, just a normal guy who's done extraordinary things. And um, I know you're an inspiration to a lot of people, but you're an inspiration to me because if there's more normal folks like you in this world just filling the needs in our communities we can fix a lot of what else is and an army of you would change everything and I just I can't thank you enough and I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed being with you thank you too and I have to say that I didn't know many years ago when I was sitting in my couch watching the trailer to Undefeated that I'll be sitting here across from you. So, <laughs> well, we, uh, Dreams are still being eliminated, we're, my we're friend. Bo- we're both two dudes <laughs> who never expected to be here. <laughs> but uh, through God's grace, we are. And um, and 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 hopefully uh, some people got some inspiration from the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us this week. If Arshay or another guest has inspired you in general, or better yet, to take action, please let us know how. I'd love to hear about it. You can write me anytime at bill at normalfolks.us. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast, rate it and review it, share it with friends and on social, the things that will help grow an army of normal folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'll see you next week. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, 
Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 